Welcome to this episode of Lev Avot, Heart of the Fathers. Explore with me the hearts and minds of the children of Israel and how their experiences relate to Torah. Together we might find out what connects us and how to turn back to the heart of our fathers. My name is Yochanan. I am a Jewish artist living on the ancient hills of Israel. Find me on Facebook or support my work on Patreon, where I share my best content. The links are in the description. Um, so I'm doing this podcast with Abud, and I just want to welcome you, Abud. Welcome to this conversation. Yeah, thank you. Um, if you have any questions for me, also, you know, you're welcome to ask me questions. Awesome. But, um, so I just want to introduce Abud. He is uh, the son of the Kohen Gadol of the Samaritan priest, the Levites of the Samaritans, right? I'm yes, I'm one of the uh, basically Kohen family. Kohen family like, yes. There's eight uh, today. There's eight hundred Samaritans, so around three hundred from the Kohens. Okay, great. And you do tour guides. You're a tour guide, and you do tours mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. about the Samaritan history and obviously the place here. Yes. And the Samaritan story, which is um, obviously very important to you. Mm-hmm. And you do lectures, uh, and you have a YouTube channel, so we'll talk more about the YouTube channel later. But um, yeah, if there's anything else you want to add to your introduction that you would like to tell us. Um, no, like, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm generally a very curious person, and that also made me uh, want to learn more about my tradition and my culture. And giving tours and giving lectures was only one part of this uh, you know, journey of, of understanding not only the, the Samaritans, but also cultures around the world, because you get tourists from around the world, and you get to ask questions, and so, so thank you for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome, and uh, yeah, that's an amazing uh, way of learning, I guess, about your own history, is like teaching sure. other people about it, teaching other people about it. Um, yeah, let's uh, begin with the first, my first question. Can you just like, um, I know it's a long period of history that we're talking about, but if you can break down for me like the, I would say like the highlights of mm-hmm. this, who are the Samaritans? What is your origin story or history? And let's, uh, yeah, let's begin there. What can, what can sure. you talk about that? All right, so in the community, we have this belief, and I say we because there's people, there's other the beliefs of our origins. Uh, we believe that we are part of the uh, sons of Israel, Bnei Israel, the Hebrews, who entered the Holy Land uh, 3,600 years ago. And around that time, like 3,000... From, from Egypt, right? From Egypt. When they entered the Holy Land, uh, there was nothing called Samaritans. And frankly, nothing... The, the word Jewish was also... It really didn't exist. There was only the sons of Israel. There was 12, 12 tribes. And... 450 years after they entered the Holy Land, there basically we know that there was a high priest in the first year they entered the Holy Land. His name was Eleazar, the son of Aaron, right? The high priest Aaron. So Eleazar was the first high priest. And then it in in the Samaritan belief, we believe that Joshua, in the first year the Israelites entered the Holy Land, he came to build the tabernacle on top of Mount Gerizim. So this is already basically pointing to the first difference between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, but we'll get to that. Uh, so again, Joshua builds the altar 
and sorry, not only did he did build the altar, but he also built the tabernacle on top of Mount Gerizim. And there's also other, the, the important ritual of putting the blessings and the cursings, right? There's Mount the blessings Mount. on Mount Gerizim, the cursings on Mount Ebal. Yeah. Um, and we believe that this happened here because after that, the Bnei Israel, the sons of Israel, started to spread around the Holy Land. But this ritual had to happen before they do that because, you know, is setting the laws, the cursings, and the blessings. So, fast forwarding 450 years after the Israelites entered through the Holy Land, um, we believe that there were there was the high priest. His name was Uzi. He was the rightful person to to be the high priest uh, because his father was and his grandfather was. He was uh, from the right dynasty. Um, but then there was a, another person from the Kohen family who was also basically close to this lineage of the high priest. His name was Eli. And Eli, uh, basically, we believe had power, meaning that he basically had money, he had basically possessions, influence. influence, he was a charismatic speaker, he could basically gather people and just uh, give them, uh, you know, basically just, uh, build something around his speech and, and gain followers. Uh, there's also like in the culture and and Samaritan uh, traditions, there's also that he had some kind of access to black magic, right? Okay, wow. And eventually he came to this high priest whose his name was Uzi and he kind of like um, rebelled against him. He said like, you do not deserve to be the high priest. You are not qualified. Uh, you're too young, these kinds of, uh, you know, uh, accusations. Uh, so eventually this conflict evolves into not only who should be the high priest, but also where should we do this whole um, practices of the kurban in the, the, in the tabernacle, the sacrifices in the tabernacle. Should we really go to Mount Gerizim? Eli started to propose Mount Gerizim is not mentioned or something like it's slowly the Torah, we believe was still the same even if when when Eli started to um, basically deviate from Mount Gerizim okay he, just can I ask you one sure. question I, I know that you have mentioned to me before that in your version of the Torah like there's a slight difference between your version of the Torah right which is the five books of Moses and the, the Jewish accepted Jewish um, Torah. True. And especially in the Ten Commandments. Yes. So tell me a little bit about that. Yes. So that the, the most, let's say that there are about 7,000 to 6, like between 6,000 and 7,000 differences. Uh, but there are... Oh, really? Yes, yeah. but the word differences... It's like just a change of word, maybe. Or it can words. be a word missing or a letter missing. Okay. Or a whole verse, not, you know, not oh, well. either missing or different. Um, like the first example I can give you is there's a verse that says, God finished his work on the sixth day and rested on the seventh day. Mm-hmm. In the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish Torah, it's God finished his work on the seventh day and rested on the seventh day. Oh, wow. So okay. that's the first difference we see in the Torah. But then we go and see other differences, like, for example, a letter missing in. I'll give you just um, an example. 
of uh, when one of the uh, battles, when, Mo- when Moshi, Mo- Moses was uh, lifting his hand up, the Israelites would win the battle over the Amalek. And whenever yes. his hands got weak, they would lose. So that name, the place, you will notice in the Torah, any place is named after the story of what, 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 what happens. happens. Yeah. So that place is called Rafidim, which means weak hands. Rafiadaim. Mm. Uh, okay. uh, but in the Jewish Torah, there's a Yud missing in the Yadaim. So it becomes Raftam. That's one thing that we know of one difference. Raftam would mean something blood. It like, would mean weak blood or weak something blood. like that. Okay. Um, and and you go to other differences. You see, I'm just giving you this yeah, example like to minor, see that minor difference, but it makes a difference. But it must it makes a yeah, difference. It makes a significant. Although, um, you know, there you it's fair to say there's thirty or so, like around thirty important differences that are worth mentioning. Okay. Um, the most important is definitely the Ten Commandments. Mm. So, the Ten Commandments we have the first and the second one. If you go to the Jewish traditions, the first one is, I'm the Lord your God. The second one is, you shall have no other God before me. Um, however, in the Samaritan counting, That's the first, the, yeah, exactly. The first one and second one is, is fused into one and, and we count it as one. But we, you know, and then comes the question, well, wait, that makes it a nine? Yeah. And this is where people get shocked. Like we actually have a 10th commandment. I was like, oh, wow. You know, people are starting yeah. asking like, what is the commandment I didn't know about that I should be doing? Well, it's actually not something of a one person can do. It's it's the commandment for the sons of Israel to build an altar and the tabernacle, basically. But it just mentions specifically the altar. And I'll quote from the Torah, uh, the, the most important verse of it. It says that when you shall cross the river of Jordan, you shall build those those stones, which I command you today on Mount Gerizim. So it's basically mm-hmm. setting the sanctuary or setting almost like the government on Mount Gerizim because there's the Levites who will who are going to lead the, the people. The people need to go to this place to in order to get either wisdom or decisions or the court, okay. right? So, yeah. so this is really the most important difference. Mm-hmm. Although, if we go back to the Uzi and Eli thing, Eli, uh, at that time, there was like, we believe there was, the t- like in the Samaritan traditions, of course, there was the Samaritan Torah in... In history, I believe the, 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 the change of Torahs, like for example, um, suddenly we have two versions. I'm sure you know there's also different versions. There's the uh, Samaritan Pentateuch, there's the Masoretic Pentateuch, there's something called, I think, LLX, if you ever heard yeah, of that. Yeah, the Leningrad Codex. Exactly. Um, so I'm not exactly, it's like I forgot the exact dates and what are the arguments of when this Torah came about and when this Torah came about. Uh, however, we do know that it's connected to Azrae. I mean, in the traditions, the Samaritan traditions, Azrae the scribe, he is the one who actually switched, I believe, from Hebrew, uh, ancient Hebrew to the more, to the, to the Assyrian text. Yes, uh, the, the script. Yes, the Ktavashuri. Exactly. And, and you see, and then this is where you can also see that Eli took the belief from Mount Gerizim to Shiloh. Shiloh, Shiloh, it's actually like around 30 kilometers, 40 kilometers away from here. And he built the altar there. Um, again, I'm not very good with the exact dates, but it, that would have been around 400 or 500 years after the Israelites' uh, entry to the Holy Land. Okay. However, we believe the, sanctu- the, the sacrifices and, and the Mishkan stayed on Mount Gerizim for at least 600 years. And then 
we have in the Samaritan belief and in our, you know, stories that we, um, you know, like pass down from generation to generation is that the, uh, the sons of Israel really started to sin and they were not worthy of having the tabernacle. So God basically hired the prophet and he basically made the prophet hide the tabernacle. So it's almost like the tabernacle was just hidden away. Mm. Some people say in one of the caves of the mountain here. And it will be shown again one day when these when the Israelites were are aligned well with the Torah, when the Choshen, like there's the you know the the what the high priest used to wear with the twelve stones. Yes, they have to align uh, as well. Like the belief is that all of them light up if everything is okay. Mm. Uh, it, like it, this is just like um, it's a vision of the of the kind of redemption in a, in a sense, right? Yes, yes, and only that. Like only then will the, the the tabernacle be re be rebuilt. Now, if you go to like researchers and historians, what they believe what happened on the on the tabernacle, that's a whole story. They believe that there was the like it was really destroyed. Okay, something connected connected to the Maccabees also. Um, I need I need to study more about the history of that. that that's why I like like interviews. It just brings yeah, up things yeah. that I hate. I want to study about you need that. To know more about something. For sure. However, there's different arguments that some people say we even had, we, we rebuilt the tabernacle. So some, some historians say there was two tabernacles. However, we say the second tabernacle that they think was a tabernacle was just a synagogue for us that was built on top okay. of Mount Gerizim. Why is Mount Gerizim so important for us? Is the same reason why Jerusalem is very important for the Jewish people. We believe that this is where Abraham, for example, Avram came to you know, after he entered the Holy Land, he came to Shechem, yes. and we believe he came to, to Mount Gerizim. We believe Yaakov, Prophet Jacob, he came and woke up from the dream of the ladder, angels falling up and down from the ladder. Mm -hmm. he, he woke up from the dream and he said, This must be the gates of heaven and the house of God. Mm -hmm. So we believe it was on Mount Gerizim here. Okay. And there's other, of course, stories like uh, the Akidat Abraham and Yitzhak, the, uh, Abraham almost sacrificing his son Isaac also, we believe, happened here. We even have a physical altar where we believe it was up built oh, wow. there. Yeah. So we visit that it's three times. It's an archaeological park here. Yes. Okay. We believe that we've passed it from generation to generation. And, and you see, at that time, it is believed that the 10 tribes stayed in the north. Mm. And then two tribes went to the south, Judea, uh, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, and also half of the tribe of Levi, like a good chunk of the half of Levi. Okay. Um, so, and it continues that it also came to uh, King David. Okay. Um, and at the times of King David, I'm not sure if this is in, Jew in the Jewish traditions, probably in the Samaritan uh, stories, that he was commanded, or he was pressured by the the southern Israelites, the, the Israelites who were in the south, um, to build to build the tabernacle. Okay. Uh, so he so he was like basically um, asked to build it in Jerusalem. However, in the Samaritan belief, we have that he came uh, one night. He uh, slept on Mount, um, on Mount Gerizim, or was he? I'm not sure if it was in a coincidence, but he basically woke up. Sorry, he had a dream that God tell, is telling him, David, this is the place of worship, and I'm the Lord. Like, it's actually the opposite way, kind of paraphrasing here, but 
I'm the Lord your God, and this is the place of worship. That's what he told him. So he was afraid to build the tabernacle. His son uh, Solomon, however, was pressured to build it again, but he did build it. And in the Samaritan traditions, it is believed that Solomon did a mistake by doing that. Uh, and he re and he built it on in Jerusalem. So, and even till then, we still don't have necessarily two kingdoms yet. It, like it's just the north and the south until okay. his son Rehoboam came. Yes, and and that you know at that time the the there there was like beginning to be in four formations of the kingdom of Israel in the north, kingdom of Samaria and Judah in the south, and. And the time of Rehoboam, the kingdom, the kingdom of Judah was very strong, right, actually, uh, probably even like much stronger than the the Samaria kingdom. Um, proving that was that he controlled kind of like the taxes that were forced, uh, for example, on the farmers okay. who were in the north, which caused the north to rebel against Rehoboam. And that even made the matters worse because we already have some friction going on between the northern Israelites and the south. And suddenly, you know, Rehoboam has his famous uh, verse telling uh, the, the northern Israelites, um, if my father, meaning his father Solomon, if my, if my father treated you with sticks, I will treat you with scorpions. It's like oh, it's wow. going to be harder than his father mm. and than his father on him. So now we have two kingdoms who are, you know, they're supposed to be 12 tribes united. Yeah. Suddenly they're against each other, enemies. Mm. And what, does, what happens? Um, other nations come. And obviously, you know, if you're fighting yeah, against each other, you're weakening you're weak. yourself. And, uh... Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. we know different nations came. The Romans controlled uh, Judea to, get, to a good degree. Uh, so time. The, the Assyrians, right? Right. And then the, the, the Babylonians, and then the Persians. The Persians reestablished in, that's in the south, you mean, right? <clears throat> yeah, for the, I think in the Jewish, mm -hmm. um, in the, um, what do you call it, the Nevi'im, the prophets, mm -hmm. where it talks about those nations, you know, that basically, um, it was the Assyrians that took the northern tribe of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, and took them away into Assyria. Yes. And displaced them with other people. Yes. And in, you know, that's where... It, according to the Jewish story where the Samaritans, right. you know, according to what it says in that. Yeah, because they wanted to do, yeah. basically when they, when they controlled the North, especially this part, like the part where the, let's say the elite or like the higher status group, or the higher, how do you say, tier of the, of the society or something like that, like the government, yes. let's say. Like the people in control, basically. Exactly. They took them out, but they didn't want to leave the land empty because that would bring, mm. uh, you know, wild animals and, things like that. So they had to replace them with people from outside, uh, which happens to be from Kuta, Iraq. And that's where uh, the Jewish uh, story tells that be basically those people, when they came here, they went to the king and they wanted to learn mm. the, because that's one thing. That yeah, the, so they got some Levites to come back from the kingdom, from Assyria to teach them Exactly. To, how to pray to the God of the land. Of the land, exactly. Yes. And that's where it, it, it kind of continues that they, in a sense, we can understand, they made their own version, right? Mm. And they, it was on Mount Gerizim. And that's why some people might call the Samaritans Kutim, because they came from Kuta. Oh, really? Originally. People do that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But like, that's do you guys thing. feel offended by that? Or? I mean, we definitely, 
don't believe we're, we're from Guta. We okay. do believe we stayed here in the land for 3,600 years. However, we do not really neglect necessarily the exile that happened. Mm. However, we do believe it was very small number, like compared to the huge number. I think the number was, that, that was mentioned was a, something like 27,000 mm. that were exiled. Compared to the number of the uh, people who were living in the north, it's believed to be really, really, really minor. Um, yeah. Different numbers point to different, you know, like for example, some people say there was up to eight, there were up to eight hundred thousand Samaritans living in the north, and uh, you know twenty seven thousand. I'm not sure in which with what period that happened, but it is believed to be a very small number. However, uh, we do believe that, like for example, we've kept the lineage going, especially because like there were always some minority, or maybe even a that smaller minority that stayed mm -hmm. behind, and that kept the tradition going. That's basically. The, the true that that never left the whole that never left the, at least here in this town yeah. like the Mount Gerizim or Nablus uh, Shechem. So according to your tradition, there's been an unending line of Shomronim, um, right, living here in the land for the last since since basically the the Israelites came in to, to conquer the yes. land and, and and be here. Yes, and okay. this is one of the reasons why our numbers are very. Um, very uh, low today. So yeah. imagine a hundred years ago, there was only a hundred and thirty Samaritans in all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's really ha like hard to imagine this number because mm -hmm. you know you're, you're close to a million, and there's like a hundred and forty. Um, but luckily, you know those few people that remained, they were pretty strong mm -hmm. with their faith, and um, you know, even more miraculously is that they kept um, very old Torahs, like mm, up to okay. up to a thousand year old Torahs oh, wow. till today. Uh, it actually, so that believe, would be like one of the oldest. Um, traditionally, the oldest the Torah, Torah we have is three thousand. We believe is three thousand years old since the since the high priest, the first, uh, okay. sorry, the third high priest, Abisha, the son of Pinchas, the son of Eleazar, who was the son of Aaron. Okay. Which is a pretty huge claim, right? Yes. Um, Have you seen it? We see it like three times every year. Okay. Uh, because it's kept in a safe inside the synagogue. Open it up and you see the letters and everything. Yes, we can. We wow. we do not scroll through it because it's yeah, it's, very it's, scroll, it's very delicate, and we just have it in the middle of basically the, always. If we have a mikhtav, it's always in the middle of on on a specific page, which is the blessings of Aaron. And it's written in what is called Paleo Hebrew. Right. Yes, Paleo Hebrew, Ancient Hebrew, Samaritan Hebrew, um, that we learn at a really young age, something like three, four years, uh, we, we start learning how to read Ancient Hebrew, because it's really part of your life as a Samaritan. Yeah, it's, it's definitely so, should be part of the culture, yeah. For sure. Very important. You know, and, and it archaeology does, you know, like people were like, obviously they want to have proof, like, hey, can prove, if you prove that this is really 3,600 years old, then you have me, you're like, you know, you convince me, you're really yeah, Israelite. Yeah. Uh, however, it's not that easy, because really papers do not really survive 3,000. I mean, some yeah. people, you would imagine. But it's, right? on, it's on skin, right? It's on parchment, um, and not necessarily on a deer skin, it can be also a sheep skin. Okay. Um, However, you know, it, there was some carbon dating done on it. And, oh, really? Yeah, and it turned out like there's different pages from different periods. Like, for example, between 800 to 
1,000 years old pages. Uh, meaning that if a paper was basically either it got disintegrated because of time or anything, mm. people, the Samaritans would just replace it with uh, a more okay. one. But it's still considered to be that old the Abisha that. scroll, right? Like the, the, it's just remained, it's kept its status. Okay. Um, and people really respect it until today. It's the most important physical possession that we have. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I think there might be a lot of people listening that don't really know much about Torah necessarily in general. They're like, you know, people in the world. Um, explain to, can you explain to me why is the Torah important? Yeah. Um, so we believe that, for example, in the Samaritan community, when God created the, the, the universe, the world, first of all, he created light. And in the traditions and Samaritan interpretations, that light was the Torah. And that light, let's, if you look around here in the room, there's light, right? Mm -hmm. And this light is what makes you differentiate between things like the door or the chair, right? Without light, everything would be black, obviously. Yeah, basically it sheds information that we receive through our eyes and that gives us all the information we need about our, our environment. Exactly. Except for stuff, obviously, we hear or feel or... <laughs> exactly. With the other senses. Yeah. So you can like really... Uh, but it's our most important... Um, input. Input, yeah. Right. And, and this light is really what makes you survive, really, because without it, you wouldn't see the right food or the right, you know, track. Torah yes. is really similar to light because it is showing you. That's where the word also comes from. Correct me if I'm wrong. Torah, right? It's, it, it's uh, I mean, that's, so it's, Torah is also a way to show you how to live life. And we yes. consider it to be like a life manual, really. Like if you buy any machine, you need a manual how, how to operate it. Uh, we are born with instincts god created us elohim created us with some instincts of like for example smell and taste and 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 sight and everything and these are very important but he also gave us free will mm. and when he gave us free will we kind of like saw what, what happened with adam and eve and all the things that they ate yeah. the apple uh they needed torah after that to mm. align them like really because this is also one thing that reminds you of that why we wear the we have to wear the sisit, right? Mm -hmm. We don't wear the sisit anymore as Samaritans. There's a diff, there's a reason for that. I'll tell you soon. Um, but yeah, but essentially, we take, it's supposed to remind us of the Torah. And, exactly. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's like an anchor that mm -hmm. you, you always you go back it, to, and you see it on the people around you, and it reminds you that of the I guess the the virtues of the Torah. Hundred percent. So, so yeah, so we see the Torah as also like something like a, that everyone knows about. It's a shared thing between all the nation and everyone abides by these rules. And the promise is that if you follow all the rules inside the Torah, mm. that not only will you be, um, you know, like surviving, but you, you will also be, you know, you'll have blessings, meaning that you'll also be striving and you'll be, yes. uh, you know, ultimately, like I think the the most important thing, like the, one of the most important verses in the Torah, I think that's one of my favorite uh, verses is kohanim kadosh, and you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Yeah. And, you know that only will come if they follow the Torah. What what, the, what does that mamlech, what does kohanim 
Kohanim Vekoi Kadosh. What is a Koi Kadosh? Priestly nation, uh, a holy nation. Yeah. Exactly. And what is a holy nation? It's a nation without any sin, doing the correct things without any crimes, um, people having the right thoughts in their head, the right minds, controlling their bad behavior. Mm. And that comes from the Torah, really. And a lot of people, I think, take for granted the, I mean, like the rules in the government, for example, like, okay, do not steal. Mm. Hmm. Obviously, do not steal. Yeah. But that's obvious it today, right? Yeah. Um, so the Torah is really, uh, we, we take it as um, basically uh, a God-sent manual for life. So. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so how, how is it to be, how does it feel to be uh, a Shomoronim today living in, in this modern land of Israel? You know, I know you share, you have shared a dual citizenship. Yes. You're both a Palestinian mm -hmm. citizenship and an Israeli citizenship. True. And maybe you can tell me a little bit about uh, about that experience and then also um, the role that the, the, the Shomorim play as kind of, I think, I don't know if that's always the case, but as a mediator between these two yeah. groups. Sure. First of all, because we lived in Nablus for many years, like we believe we never left Nablus, at least part of us never left, uh, that at some point we started like any nation that either goes to live with another nation or gets occupied by another nation, they will start speaking their language, right? Like for many Jewish people today, they live in America, they, their first language is there is English. We have our first language, uh, Arabic actually today. Uh, and that obviously caused the, uh, you know, it, it made it easier for us also to interact with the, with the Arabs and the Palestinians in Nablus and around. Of course, there was also uh, not only Samaritans in Nablus, but also the villages around. Mm -hmm. So that, first of all, caused the, um, first of all, that we could get the Palestinian ID. And second one is, is, is that we also have the, first of all, the story of the Israelites, the Torah, Mm. That obviously points to uh, us being considered Jews, right? Um, yeah. Which brings the question, like, hey, are you Jewish? I get that a lot, and yeah. I'll get to that in a minute. But eventually there were Samaritans in 1930 who moved from Nablus to, um, to Yaffa, like okay. uh, modern Tel Aviv, Yaffa. Mm. Uh, although at that time it was uh, obviously just much, much smaller. And they moved because of economic uh, stress. They found jobs over there. And this is before Israel came. And when Israel came in 1948, um, there was uh, the, a president called Yitzhak Ben Svi. He was a very, very, um, he really loved the Samaritans, let's say. He loved the, the mm. traditions. He even wrote a, wrote a book about the Samaritans. Okay. And... Uh, basically, as a president, he offered the Samaritans in Yaffa because there were also some other Samaritans going there because of the job opportunities. Mm. Something like around 120 or something that already living there. Okay. So he helped them buy land in Cholon, in Tel Aviv. And they moved there. And now, they, of course, they had the Israeli citizenship. But the Samaritans who were living in Nablus only had the Palestinian ID. Um, 
and that caused problems because the Samaritans... Yeah, in, they want to go visit you, your family. Exactly, time, and yeah. also the Samaritans in Tel Aviv, they want to come visit here. And mm-hmm. for, for a good two or three years, I believe, they were not allowed to come here, which is like, as a Samaritan, that's yeah. huge. Um, so eventually the Samaritans asked the Israeli government, the Samaritans in, in Mount Gerizim, they asked the Israeli government for the Israeli ID and the Israeli passport. Uh, for for the reasons I mentioned, right? First of all, obviously, like they wanted connections with the Samaritans in Tel Aviv and their their relatives and everyone. Second of all, it obviously will open up a lot of you know financial uh, opportunities, mm. and uh, and you know just basically access to the more access to the Holy Land. So eventually, all the Samaritans got the Israeli ID, and even half of us have the Palestinian ID and. Mm. Also, close to like a quarter have the Jordanian also as well. So I have oh, wow. the, I have three passports. Okay. Like not, I don't have a Palestinian passport, but like I have the like the ID, that Palestinian ID, Israeli ID, and, and Jordanian ID. Uh, and this also comes Jordanian because the King of Jordan had pretty good relationships with the Samaritans here. So. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah. So he offered the the, the ID. Um, so in general, you get along very well with the with the Arab population. Yes. Here. Because, first of all, like I said, we speak Arabic, it's easier to communicate, and also because they consider us as people of the book, right? They, that's another yeah. name, people of the book. And not, not only did they consider us people of the book, but they believe that we, I mean, a good chunk of, a good good amount of them, a good, uh, is that a good right word? A good chunk of them? Yeah, like a good size uh, of the population. Yeah, believes that we are... Uh, really like the Israelites who, who, who the Quran talked about and, you know, so okay, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so we go, for example, I went to Palestinian schools. I studied uh, for oh. 12, like something like 12 years, like either school and then university. Okay, so down here in Nablus, you studied at school. Yes. Wow. Uh, like there's six to seven grades that you can study here on Mount Gerizim. Okay. There's, there is a class here, but we generally uh, go after the seventh grade to study in Nablus. Yeah, how big is your community here now? At the Around 430, 440 Samaritans living on Mount Gerizim. You wouldn't guess if you saw all the all the big village here. It's actually bigger than 400, but that's oh, okay. because there's Samaritans who live in, the ones who live in Tel Aviv, they move over here when there's festivals and holidays. So, okay. so they have houses here, small houses. Uh, so yeah, I studied in Nablus, and it was a really nice experience. I really rarely, rarely had any, like any kind of like bullying or anything because yeah. of being a Samaritan. Okay. It happened like maybe less than five times or something okay. like that. Like rarely, really. And and you made good friends there as well. Very good. Like my my closest friends are from there. Uh, they okay. visit me each week, and. And that also goes through for the Israelis. I work with the, I work in DHL, like the part, another job for me is DHL and my coworkers are all Israeli and, okay. uh, and I meet them every day. So it's very, very um, reasonable to say that we are really mediators between the two mm-hmm. nations. We're like, the, the famous thing we always say is that we are a bridge of peace, you know, between the two nations. Okay. And the, and, this comes because this area here that you're in right now, Mount Gerizim, for example, is area A and C. So Israelis and Palestinians are legally allowed to be here. 
It's one okay. of the only places in. Yeah, and I've met here before with you with uh, Palestinians as well. Yes. Meeting and just talking about life and stuff, and also True. about peace. See, yeah, and and this is why you know people come here. Sometimes they do some activities of peace or something because it's really uh, it, it's it is the place to do it. Yeah. It's a good environment. Now, because it's area A and C at the same time, you might get into like weird situations like I did one time. Uh, if you want just a short story that yeah, happened. Sure, go ahead. I had a, a driving lesson in Ariel. And because if you get it in the Israeli uh, government, you can drive both in the Israeli and the Palestinian roads. If okay. you do it in the Palestinian roads, you're only stuck there. So why not get it in the Israeli roads? You, may not, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Legally to be, to be able to drive. Yeah, So I used to take it there and then used to take the Palestinian buses and taxis to go back to, to my, my, my home. Uh, mostly because I sometimes use the Israeli buses, but it, they had a schedule, so I had to wait an hour or two. But okay. the Palestinians, they like you could just go and pick up any taxi and you're, you're good yeah. to go. And obviously, More like Africa style, yeah, which caused some you know uh, weird situations. Like, for example, if I went to the uh, checkpoint over there, uh, like in the Ariel, in there in Ariel, if I if the if the soldiers saw me going out of a Palestinian car from outside, like from far, and then going into Ariel, you know, they would okay. probably stop me from far and then like ask me a few questions and then they would let me in. Now I did the opposite. I took uh, the Palestinian taxi back home and the, the mountain here has two roads, the Israeli road and the Palestinian road. So I'll, only Palestinians are allowed to use this one and the only Israelis are allowed to use this one. Um, when I told the taxi, hey, can you please stop on this, uh, you know, roundabout? It was a roundabout that leads to the Israeli-only road. Okay. And he was like, um, are you sure? Like, this is like an Israeli, uh, you know, area. And I was like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm a Samaritan. I, I can do it. He was like, oh, listen, I'll stop a little bit farther because it's dangerous. You know, he, he stopped a little bit farther. And it okay. was really dark at that time and in that area. Also, overall, the political situation was not very good. So, like eight sure years ago, was this? something I I need to check. It was I know that it was at the time where it was called the Intifada of the Knife, something like that. That's what they called uh, it. Okay, yeah, when there was a lot of stabbings uh, right? happening in Tel Aviv and Petrochina. Yeah, so you would think it was something like 2015, 2014. Okay. Um, yeah, so the two soldiers saw me from far, and they you know, they came running towards me uh, because I actually was waiting for my father to come pick me up because mm -hmm. uh, it's like, like five minutes away from here. I would have went with the taxi and then went all the way back from Nablus and then came to Mount Gerizim from the Palestinian group, but that's like an extra 40 minutes. Okay. And, you know, eventually it, they come running towards me and I saw it and like I saw them and I was like, oh, I think I'm going to be in trouble because like they're obviously running and one of them came close to me and point the, the, the gun really close to me. That's the first time ever someone points a gun very close to me. And obviously it just takes one, you know, trigger to, to mm. finish it all. So I was like yeah. pressured and he was shouting and I was shouting as well. Like, everything's okay. I'm a Samaritan. He never heard about Samaritans. Uh, no. His friend might have heard, I believe. But you speak in Hebrew though. I spoke in Hebrew, but my Hebrew was much worse than what it is now. And and you can tell by the accent is really easy. You know, no, I don't have the... So you sound like an Arab speaking... True. Hebrew. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, Hebrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, that didn't oh, help. No. So he asked me for my ID, and I asked, and I give him my. Uh, I wanted to give him the Israeli ID, but I only had the Palestinian ID on me, which has made matters worse, right? But I remembered my name is written in Hebrew, Abdallah Cohen. He can read that in Hebrew. Yeah. And when he read that, I mean, you can guess the look on his face. That's confused. I'm what is going on? He probably like, what's happening over here? Maybe the fake ID, or maybe it's maybe uh, this guy. You know, his family became Jewish or Muslim. You know which way it is. Yeah. Obviously. Eventually, like you know, all that time I was just throwing words out there, like, "Hey guys, I, like just believe me, I'm allowed to be here. We guys, so we have this history." And it's you know, you're telling this guy about some people who call themselves the Maritans and they have their own version. Like, wow, like you know, <laughs> I can I can put myself in his shoes. You know, eventually he let me go and he told me never to do that again. That happened very close to my house. Yeah. I mean, like just a five-minute drive away. Yeah, from that's my a big house. shock. And it's a big shock, and it's probably left me some trauma for for a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, whenever I cr- come across, you know, these kinds of checkpoints, I never did that again. I think because, you know, I. I remember his face was very angry. Like he just immediately assumed that I'm this person, I, yeah. and I, it it. I can't and even if you face. were an Arab, you know. You know why? Why do you have to react in anger? You can just true, talk. true, true. You can still ask the questions like, "What are you doing here? Who are you?" You know, true. like it was. It was pretty. It was pretty aggressive. I come, and, I come in peace. You know, like yeah. I mean, what disappoints me at at that specific thing was that they were not told to expect maybe people who are Samaritans. That's being, strange. Yeah, for being know. in a unit that's operating here or. or, or doing guard duty here it's you would think that that's something information they have to have a hundred percent yeah but they didn't uh which made me you know even more passionate about giving those tours and, and lectures to, to mm. people this is why sometimes it, you know uh, soldiers or let's say soon to be soldiers they called him mechina i think and he mm. they come here and, and okay like, that's and so I have like, like a... 40 50 people and i give lectures about the oh, community and they're always like you can see the looks on their faces like wow <laughs> They're very fascinated about it. Um, so we got that going. And, you know, we're, in the end, we're very small. Like, we're 850 today, you know, although, you know, and really, we don't really know if there's Samaritans around the world. But Yeah. But that's, uh, you know, we we, uh, we don't know if, like, we, in the end, we don't have much saying in, in, in many ways, you know. Like, yeah, you don't what are we going to do, right? Authority or power because... The, yeah, you're the, still a minority. The government is really the ones um, who have the power or to do true. To shape. True, region, and yeah. even with that, we we are very respected by both nations, and both nations love us, and both na- nations, you know, the Israelis and the Palestinians, they the Palestinians they share, they cherish us mm-hmm. as a really like an artifact, really that they want to keep. Like you know, Samaritans are like they have been, even the Palestinians. They would say yeah, like they okay. would be proud that you know, wow, Samaritans, we have them here in Naples. Like we're not exactly in Naples, but you know, mm-hmm. we're five minutes it's away. Like one of the greatest minorities in the world. Exactly, That's and they, one of the most ancient people still practicing their ancient traditions. Traditions, exactly, and and also the Israelis. They would say like, hey, this is. Mm. You know, and, and this is proof that the Israelites were here three thousand years ago, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they would also have that, and you know, I, I don't, I don't want to say we're getting crushed between the the conflict here because everyone is really being affected by it. But there was a shooting here yesterday, wasn't it? Down at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It was yesterday. It was, it was yeah. 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 
yeah, I woke up at 6 a.m. like not believing this was actually in them. This is the first time ever. Was it here up at the top? It was on the entry of the uh, of the neighborhood coming from Nablus. So the, oh, the road wow. coming from Nablus. Okay. And we really rarely have those. Just this is the and second it's time. There is an army. Um, yes. Output, not an outpost, but a. Like a vantage point. Yeah, like a. Wait, let me say, like a security vantage point. True. There was a, first of all, there were guards, three guards in the entry. And there's also this Joseph vantage point that, that all the Jewish people go to. Yeah, to see uh, Joseph's tomb from afar. Okay. You know, and it was a pretty shock. You know, it's a good shock for everyone. I mean, this but he, he wasn't time. necessarily coming to attack anybody in the town. He was just like wants to attack the soldiers. Well, it's either not. the soldiers or some some other plan. Who knows? Like maybe he wanted to attack the settlement or something like that. But yeah, you're 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 right. I mean, we don't have. Yeah. Like Hamas, for example, like the the, the Irgun, the organization, uh, yeah. they even invited us uh, something like ten years ago on a meeting just yeah. to tell us, you know, we know you guys might be afraid of us, but we're okay with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, and we understand that because yeah. people like they, they want to show that they're good to minorities or whatever, whatever. Uh, but still, that doesn't basically. Um, yeah, there's crazy people out there who can come and shoot people any, yeah, any and time of the day anywhere. They wouldn't even, maybe they don't know, like they, maybe they will see an Israeli, like we use Israeli license plates, you know, they may, maybe they would see you and they would assume you're Israeli, you know, Israeli and they would just shoot. That does put you in that yeah, situation. Possible, yeah. and, and you know, if you go to, um, I mean, we don't get that much, I mean, I, I'm trying to point to the Jewish world also, like how do the Jewish people and the Israelis also treat us? It's really great. Mm. We barely, you know, had any problems. There were this few incidences where the, for example, the neighborhood in Cholon, in Tel Aviv, was attacked by some Israeli settlers. I think they were Orthodox Israelis. Okay. And, you know, I hate bringing up those stories sometimes because it looks like it happens a lot. But mm -hmm. there, like you said, there's always very, the extremes. Very, yeah, it's so. extremes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not, it's um, not a yearly thing it's not a yearly event. no not at all not at all it's okay. just that you know i want to let people know like these stories happen but they but because these stories happen and the media talks about them people start generalizing a lot you see mm -hmm. and this is why you know as cliche as it sounds like really the media does like affect the whole picture a lot because yeah. there's a lot of good things that are happening in the community and in, in the nations and how, how do you think do you think it's solvable this this issue the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. You know, um, what, what would your approach be if you ten if years you, ago? If you have all the power and say to change things. What would you change? Well, ten years ago, I don't know why, but like when people ask me this question, I would say, no, there's no, I don't see any hmm. solution. And then after years passed by, and I started meeting more people and started, you know, like understanding the world more. I actually do have hope, you know, and it, like, I don't want to sound naive or anything, but I think, you know, I'm, first of all, we know that this is one of the most complicated conflicts in the history of humanity, right? If you think about it, really, because a lot of conflicts, I believe the reason why it's complicated is because this is not really only a fight for resources or anything like that. If it was that, we would probably solve it. It's not really it's just a fight. It's just a fight for, for land. It's, 
it's not only even for land. A big part of it is for land. I think there's something even going on. Maybe it's even a religious war at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not. I don't want to put the blame on religion. I don't think it's that. That's the thing. That's the thing. Um, but I think it's it's definitely solvable. And I don't want to tell you that I have the solution. However, if you said like if you had the full power, what would you do or something? I would have some things. I would have, for example, if I had the power to raise both sides generation like from a very very young age to really learn about each other and appreciate each other like a really young age and then we have like a huge chunk of that problem solved because you build trust from a young age from a very young age because it's like when you're yeah when you're over 20 already and you you were built on this idea that the other side is the enemy that's change like your brain is just it's i don't know how like what would take what it take to really change that there there has to be something radical that would happen um and you know the challenge that i face that that i think we we face here also that that goes for israelis as well right they for sure i'm talking on both sides uh, palestinians yes that also is the reality it's not it might not be the majority even might Probably it might, you know, and if I would estimate, I would say it's probably in a minority of people. But I that's don't know. True. I don't know for sure. You're right. I think that's true. And the reason why I think that's true is because, you know, the people who want peace from both sides, um, first of all, usually they would not come up on TV and say they want peace because that would probably put them in danger, you know, like especially in the Palestinian side. I'm, I say that because I had like a friend who, like for example, uh, like he really got threatened, you know, like because he almost joined my podcast that I had. It was oh, the Open Peace podcast. I stopped. I mean, we had we were like four people. We made a few episodes, actually sixty, seventy episodes. Should come back to do that. Was fun. Okay. Uh, and and we felt like we were doing a good cause, but at, at some point we also felt some pressure of like, like political pressure. I mean, you can say political, but it's also personal because people know you personally from a lot of people. Mm, you know, and they might not like your opinions or the stuff you're talking about. Yes. And this but, is some kind of a sacrifice you have to make, but like you have to make some smarter sacrifice. So no real free speech here is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, this there is, is America. It's a controlled <laughs> free speech, let's say. Um, and I think it's uh, like... Again, a lot of people are missing out on how, like, they do not know how much, how many people from both sides are okay with the, with the other, you know? Yes. And it's much, much more than many many people might think. It's, I think especially, uh, like, people from outside, when they come, like, they don't live here, and their only source of, you know, what's happening in the Holy Land is either, like, a YouTube channel or their new, or the yeah, news. Yeah, of course, they have a limited um, idea of what's of information and what's happening. And they, yeah. people easily shape their ideas by um, emotions, like the emotions True. that get portrayed in the media, for instance. For sure. You know, like, there's a lot of time anger and frustration. True. Like, that's... Like they say, that's what gets the, the people to watch me, unfortunately. And I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of... Um, Palestinians here that are frustrated and angered yes. for good reasons as well. You know, I was listening today to, uh, uh, to a podcast of some Palestinian from East Jerusalem who who's, was removed from his house. And, mm-hmm. you know, I can understand that, you know, that could enrage a person to be removed from your house. You know, I don't know all the circumstances in that case. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a... 
some ongoing case about a house that's been <clears throat> his personal house that's been given that, that's been taken over by Jewish um, mm -hmm. immigrants. You know, so there's a story attached to it, obviously. Yeah, and uh, like I, I think that's one part of of the solution, like to peace, and that's like uh, having empathy for the for the other side. Like if you understand them really, because a lot of people they. Like from both sides, I'm talking like not particularly from one side, they do not understand that the other side loves the, this land as much as as they yes. do, right? They think that they're they're coming here to steal the land because of an egoistic need or something yeah. like that. You can call it that, but there's also a, like a genuine love for for their yeah. land, for their families, you know. Um, I think that's one 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 possible thing, you know, one possible solution, and that's like. Not possible, but sure, this is one solution. How to bring it about? You know, I think poli 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 politics are important. I'm not going to poo-poo mm. on politics or anything like that. Okay. But if our if our leaders are okay and they, and they shake hands, then, you know, I don't think that's going to solve many things. You know, mm. you want the people to live together and sit together. And, you know, one thing that started giving me hope about all this peace thing is one incident that happened one time. Just you know, not not an incident, just a small little detail in in my trip in to England. There was this workshop where they bring people from all over the world and they talk okay. about their cultures. I represented the Samaritans. People I went with Palestinians and Israelis, and those Palestinians and, and Israelis they were like really cool to be with each other like all the time really and there okay. in the whole program there was nothing called palestinian israeli conversation nothing of, of that sort there was something called the cultural night where everyone talks about their culture okay. the israelis start they present you know they talk about their cities and everything beautiful then the palestinians start they talk about their cities and then they mention what was the, the city i think it was yaffa and they said and yaffa is a palestinian city located in this and this and that so, Palestinian city, that triggered the Israeli, side. the Israeli side. And the Israeli side, you know, raised their hands like, excuse me, this is not, not a Palestinian city, it's an Israeli city. Yeah. And then we start seeing fire going all oh, over no. between, going on between them. And even the, the workshop facilitator had to kind of like, you know, calm things mm -hmm. down. It's like, listen guys, if you want to do it, we would like rather do it. You know, like in a peaceful way, peaceful, peaceful way, and we really, they really did, and they started talking it out, and and it was not pretty. I'm not saying it was pretty. It was just yeah. really like people bringing even quotes from books and saying you did this and you did that, and after that night, you would expect them to you know, hate each other or something like that. But because I think because they were really face to face. Really, like I think there's a huge difference between actually yes, being physical face face, with yeah. people and, and being in front of the screen. Unfortunately, there's a difference. And I yes. saw that because after that, it's they were... This, it's, it's a good thing. It is you a good wanna, thing. You I mean, want to meet people and talk to true. people. True. I'm, I'm saying it's unfortunate because a lot of the, you know, a lot of people think it the only way, I mean, you know, it's like online or something. I mean, that's yes. a good start. A lot of people for sure. online, that's a good for sure. Start. You can reach more people, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, but like, you know, after that night, you know, you could see though, like both sides are very friendly with each other. And to, to the point, it's not, you know, it doesn't look fake or anything. They really genuinely uh, like appreciate each other yeah, for, yeah. you know, they understood, perhaps because they understood. See, when you understand the other side, like whether you're a Palestinian or an Israeli, and I, I don't, I hope we're not going too much into the whole Palestinian-Israeli thing, but I do think it's important yeah, for the story, uh, is that 
when you when you understand the other side and why they hate you for example if they hate mm -hmm. you then you can start negotiating for example you might understand like oh apparently this person's daughter or son was killed by this person yes. either soldier or whatever and they yeah. had this grudge and you know it yeah. just goes or even what they learned in school you know even when you know that they in school they 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 use the word occupation for example whatever it is i'm just giving you a random example yeah and then you start learning oh wow so they this is why they don't personally have something but this is because you know mm -hmm. so you start connecting the dots yeah and the whole thing makes sense but you know where samaritans stand in all of this you know we try to set a good example like hey look at me like i have good palestinian friends and israeli friends and I get, a, you know, we get along with both sides and we work with both sides, then why not everyone, why can't everyone do it? Yeah. Yeah, that would be a great, um, a, a great future if we can all work together and come together. For sure. I think, um, maybe you can tell me a little bit about the future vision for the, what, what is the vision that the, the Samaritans have for the future. Like hmm. we always talk about Gula and you can include Gula in this, in what you have to say about that. Yeah. Because um, obviously in the Jewish tradition, you know, there's the penultimate, um, I would say acquire, or, or what's acquired when everybody accepts, you know, God as being the only true God is that, um, it, you know, it goes with all these things of the, the reestablishment of the of the people to the land, mm -hmm. and, the, and then doing the Torah and, and returning is like this return to the to the covenant, right? We would say we want right. to return to the covenant, right? And and then, you know, out of that we will be receive the blessing and peace will should ensue in, in the right. world, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, you really. Um, you know, like it's it's really similar to what you said from our side because it's there is a verse in the Torah that says "Venatati shalom baaretz," right? Mm -hmm. And that's obviously like I'll it, give you it, peace. I'll give you peace in the land, right? That's in the Torah, um, and this comes only if you follow. Like it literally, you said that only if you will follow the the commandments and follow the Torah and accept the, the like you said the true God. Um, and you know, in our you know, when you say our vision, I I believe you're you know referring to the future of where we where we believe we want to be right in the future, uh, and what will take us. <laughs> now, in you know, we're eight hundred and we faced so many um, challenges in the, in the past. Like the for example, the Byzantines killed over one third of the Samaritan population. That was like something like a thousand six hundred years ago uh and this kind of like is a history like a lesson uh, unfortunately that you know like if we don't really take care of what happens in the land and the peace and everything that this might happen again right like mm. if you think about it even that the nazis really if like yeah they were very close to like not only you know controlling europe but probably the world if they uh, for example if they just had the power to bring the atomic bomb or whatever, right? Yeah. So if you think about it from our perspective, you know, or any nation really around the world, not only Samaritans, we kind of have to point to 
how we are going to maximize the the potential the potential thing that future the the potential future for peace really um and i think peace is important because it allows us to really strive and you know evolve as a nation if you look about the stories that happened in the torah like yaakov abraham what what happens right at the end of their life the torah mentions that it's all it's usually a pattern of for example abraham having so much wealth or Isaac having so much wealth, there's just brachot. It's called brachot. Mm-hmm. Jacob, same thing. You know, he worked with Laban and, and all the things, and then he had wealth. And the reason why he could do that is because he also had a really strong faith. Like they had strong faith. They followed the Torah rules. And I think everyone should be a Yaakov or an Abraham. Right? I think that's uh, that's the key. I, I'm, you know, there's so. So, so many, what are the most important? Things from the Torah that we need to know that we can implement every person to himself that can bring about a peace or or a really peace. First of all, I think that peace is obviously is between peace people and nations, but yes. there's also an inner peace. Yes, and I think that if people people that turn inward and face their own. Um, you can kind of say their own demons, mm-hmm. their own problems, or their own past. Anything that's making them not have internal peace or feel at peace with themselves. If you first do that war on yourself, and you you deal with those issues, and you and you, you come out on the other side mm-hmm. as a person that feels like really like a child of of of, of God, really mm-hmm. right, made in the image of God, right, right. and the we want to take on that responsibility of taking on God's attributes. Right. Right. Yes. Onto yourself. Yes. And, uh, and, and just, you, you know, knowing that, okay, we can make, we make mistakes. We're humans. We aren't God, but we, we, it's like your own child, you know, your own child. Makes it is there, you know, you are sons to the Lord, your God, right? So in that sense, you know, if we, if we really, you know, I, I talk, you know, my other talks also about the, the attributes of God. You know, it's really things like compassion and mercy and grace. Right. Low to anger. Um, These are attributes really. loving, we see in the Torah, for sure. Yeah, loving kindness, emit, you know, which is truth, forgiveness, and justice and righteousness. You know, and that, right. that those things, those attributes that's revealed to Moshe in the, in the, when he's in the... When Mashem puts him in the in the crack right. of the rock, right? He reveals God reveals to him some of his nature, right? right. His attributes, which yes. is amazing. That's really an amazing revelation that happens. Yeah, and his there. face was glowing after that. Yes, like that. and he uh, and if we're in the image of God, and we we say that we want to take on those, we we take the responsibility of putting those attributes on ourselves, mm-hmm. and that that together those attributes is really what's love because mm-hmm. all of them are supported by love you know it's not i think in the world today love is generally just understood as either compassion and care right but often like justice is left out or righteousness is left out or truth is left out right you know people don't always um, see the whole picture of what love is you know you're right you're right it's caring about your environment. I think it, we really? even see it from the beginning. 
Like when God created light or when God created earth, when God created humans or when God created the animals, what, what was followed by that? And then God saw that it was good. Mm. And I think that's one attribute we have. We can see something that is either good or bad. Like that's one attribute we have. Yes. Why did the Torah mention that God thought it was good? Why is that important for us? And if you think about it, it's because, you know, if something is good, then it's probably like we love it, you know, yeah. something yeah. like that. And, and, and there's gratitude in it as well. Yes. And what happens when you see something that is really good or when you create something that is very good? We have the attribute to want to share it. Yes, yeah, sure. And that's what also Hashem, I believe, yeah. did. Like he shared it with, his, with Adam, with his creation, right? Yes. Uh, beautiful. I like that. Yeah. And you're right. People do not appreciate that, what the, really the word love has. Yeah. And I think um, the thing about good, the, knowing the difference between good and evil, you know, that's really what establishes the, the world in a big sense. Because you have uh, this duality, right? Mm -hmm. The world is established in duality of light, darkness, cold, heat, right. truth, lies. You know, there's a, a world of duality. And that is really the, I think, that came from the knowledge of the of the, of the true apple, the yeah. mm -hmm. of good and evil. It's when we receive that ability to understand those concepts of you know, right. duality. And now we can, we can make decisions on when we have thoughts, because really the, the, the choice between good and evil happens in our minds, right? It's when true. you make, make a thought. And, he, you know, we are not always in control of the thoughts that arise. Okay, but we are, often we are, we, you know, we, we feed the, the thoughts mm -hmm. like a dog, you know, you, feed, you can feed bad thoughts, you can feed good thoughts, you can feed fear or victimhood. If you, th if you think about those things continually and all the time. Right. You know, victimhood is in the past, fear is in the future, because mm -hmm. it's not a re something that happened, but you're creating a reality within your mind already, and you can, you're creating those neural pathways. Right? True. And people who live in fear all the time, they're, they, they're really strengthening those neural pathways mm -hmm. towards yeah. that reality. It becomes easier to, for them to feel that. Yeah, and also if they, sure. if they live in victimhood, you, you're always, what you're taking from the past is really bad. You're taking bad things from the past and you're, right. it's in, you're bruising you in those thoughts instead of having rather good thoughts or bringing goodness from the past like gratitude, you know, when somebody did something good there's definitely something missing gratitude um, in the world. Yeah, so those the, those those Torah concepts are really what stands out a lot to me because I feel like the most of the, the laws, not all of the laws of the Torah, are grounded in those attributes mm -hmm. of God. You know, it's right. about compassion. It's about mercy. It's about justice and even anger and anger. But it's Yes, you know. even anger. Like there, I guess there is a place for anger. There's things you should be angry for. Mm -hmm. God is angry for certain behaviors. And, and in general, if I look at the Torah, it's, it's never like people say, why is God angry at me? But it's not really, I don't think it, God is angry at the person. Maybe God, for you. He's rather angry at the behavior, disgusted by the behavior. Right. Because there's... You know, the way I see it, and I, I don't know, maybe I, I should ask you, like, how do you explain or think about God being 
you know, do you see God as a part of us or, or God as separate from humans in the distance? Like, what is your concept of God? Um, you know, it, it is a really deep question that you can definitely like talk so much more about. But if I had to give you like, for example, the, let's say like in a few words, really the words that really matter, I think, and it's not like, I think it's, it, we have different books probably that were written on, on what, what God is really in the, in the Torah mm -hmm. and in the community. But there is this shared agreement really that Elohim is the basically I don't want to say words I want I don't want to like say words and some people might understand me in the wrong way okay um, that's okay we can take it slow think it through yeah but I'm trying to describe it as or it I don't want to say it as well let's say he yeah he can create anything by simply imagining it so 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 it's the power of basically creating something by just imagining it into existence does he also that's, speak it with words speak, speech is imagined as well so, okay so that's but it, it, in the torah it is believed that it was spoken because you know humans need a way to communicate it communicate it. okay but we're still talking about imagination and you imagine like how does god do it like i mean it would, we don't know. I think so we, what you're saying is we could be in a dream that God is having, that taking away from it. I mean, dreams and this reality, this reality is just more stable. Dreams are less stable. But mm -hmm. still, this reality, the material of it, we have like, you know, I'm sure you've maybe heard about something called the materialist reductionist, materialist, materialist reductionism. Yes. It just reduces reality to just being no, just material and... I think it yeah. goes along with determinism as well. And exactly. Evolution and those kind of true ideas. Yeah. However, it's in, in, in the Samaritan belief, this is not really physical. In, in like, we don't have the concept of physical. It's in a sense, it's also the material of God. It's consciousness, really. Like God is everywhere at every moment outside of us but also inside of us yes it's a good way to so god is viewing the world through yes. our eyes and our experience that we beautifully have. said yes yeah and you know it's easy for someone to kind of imagine god as a person sitting in the closet it's this is a common yes. like a mis when you want to call it misconception i'm not claiming we have the the, the answer like a complete but, picture yes but we, it's we can't definitely... see god because we are not dead we can only really see God when once you're when you're dead. alive because that, no one can experience what death is like right yeah and uh, you know if you think about it here's important here's an important thing that I also want to mention that remember when I told you that God basically created light and then you can see it, 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 you can see now things you can differentiate between things because now not everything is black, right? Yes. You, there's color. There's color, yeah. This goes the same with the nefesh, the, the soul. What do, what do I mean by that? If we, if we contribute the soul to be, if we consider the soul to be the self, and, mm -hmm. and, and it in, in many ways it is kind like of the, the self. Ego. You can call it the ego. The ego only exists, or the self only exists, because there's something else compared to it. Because you wouldn't be... Like, wouldn't be stable. 
kind of in a way you, what perhaps like, something that's recognizable and that you can compare to to because you know what is the self if you just life. well yeah in, in a sense what is the self it's it's a story that that's your combined history of your story that you've told yourself right yeah but it, yeah it's a story of, of of like something compared to the environment yes. you know that's what i'm trying to say it's okay. not it can't exist in a universe where there is no dualities yeah they ne there say. needs to be an, a world that's created in, in a in a in duality that's giving us structure mm -hmm. and comparison true we can direct ourselves into a way as well yes right? yes like you have good and bad so you can direct yourself towards, towards good good for sure yes <laughs> and yeah um so going back to your question, you asked, what is the nature of God in the mm -hmm. Torah? He is, you know, it's, it's such a powerful question because we have poems, literally mm -hmm. hundreds of pages of poems who's talk, talking about what is God uh, in a beautiful way. Because, you know, translated into English? Um, I'm pretty sure there's some somewhere around that is translated. I'm really sure about that. But it's because... They're written, first of all, they're written in poems because it just makes it easier a little bit to kind of makes a person imagine and you you remember it easier. And it's also in some ways, it's a meditative kind of poem. Oh, wow. You don't really read the poem just like that. Mm -hmm. You read the poem, but it's also a sort of meditation because it takes you long you, you to read okay. one, one word sometimes, depending on what kind of melodies. Right. Um, and the, the nature of God is when you know that, for example, some poems describe it as Right. I am that I am. That I will be. Yes. And what I am what I am. Yes. And that's that's also very powerful because it's mm -hmm. also kind of like putting God almost in a way that some people it, it connects to us very yeah. strongly because I am and you you are. And we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we're going all, back again. We, to the it self. goes back to the image of God. We're all mm -hmm. created in the image of God. True. So it's I don't know where to stop because there's no stopping when you no, describe I, I, something. I love to talk about these things, like really sure. going deep into the, you know, because I think there's a special revelation for me specifically. I mean, probably for everybody in the name of God. Right. Can you, can you talk maybe a little bit to that? Like what is in the name of God? Yeah. Ki Adonai, right? Yeah. What does that verse mean? No, what is the name? Like the, the name. Oh, what is the name? Yud Hev of Hey, you mean? Yes. Mm. Oh, I also got that question once. So, first of all, we don't pronounce the Shem, the name, like the Jewish people. We say Shema. Yud Hev yes. of Hey is pronounced as Shema. Do you, does it mean that you have lost uh, the, the pronunciation of the name, or do you have a tradition of how it's pronounced? We don't have it. It's most likely out of respect, but okay. But it's it's known that we don't have it. It's just known that it, you know the common belief is yeah. that when the Mishkan is built, we can pronounce it in the Mishkan. Like there's some different okay. things about it, but we just say Shema. Really, it's okay. just respect for the name. Uh, and Shema is like Hashem flipped backward, like saying that, mm, you know, okay. the name. Uh, and when you look at the word Yud Hei Vav Hei, and I asked this, I believe, my uncle and my other uncle and other people, I didn't get an, one answer, to be honest. Okay. Uh, but if I had to remember, remember one explanation, it, yeah, Yud Hei Vav Hei consists of 
basically the past, present, and future. Aya, ove, biye. Right, that's one explanation that I heard. Yes. And, that, and that, that's generally translated as he was, he is, and he will be. Yes. Okay. Why do you think that is combined into one? I think it's, you know, in a sense, it's having, you know, it's just encompassing all the all, all what Hashem is, right? It's everything it's, of creation. Everything. It's everything of creation. And, you know, it, have you ever heard about the library of, of Babel? Um, no, I don't think so. In short, it's kind of like an infinite li a library with infinite, infinite floors. Okay. And every floor has a set of um, bookshelves. And every bookshelf has a set of books. And every book has a set of a title. And every title is made from A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You open the first page, what do you see? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You go to the second page, you see... It starts differently, ECA. You go to the floor number one million, you open the page, what do you see? A, B, Yohanan. Hmm. It happened that this alignment of letters at this page made your name. You go to floor number two million and then you see a whole story. It happened This this whole story is written. Hmm. What I'm pointing to here is that Hashem is kind of also is a, gives us the infinity of life. Mm. There's something called... Like infinity. all possibilities. Because Ehyeh is also all possibilities, right? Yes. And consciousness is also, in many ways, it's a field where everything can arise. Yeah. And, you know, everything that can be... You know what Shlomo Melech um, wrote about consciousness, right? Where he says that consciousness was there from the beginning, uh -huh. before the creation, and that when the with the creation of man that and he talks about consciousness as a woman she consciousness and that she played with man from the begin from the creation of man wow okay and that really through consciousness is is how we experience this this world right and that you know consciousness to me really connects to chokmah like that he's talking about chokmah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that it's beyond knowledge because you don't have to have knowledge to experience Chokhmah. You can just have like a baby, just an experience of True. the world. Mm -hmm. you re you're receiving information. Pure, and you have a pure experience of the world. Yeah. Like a child. And that's through meditation. This is what people do as well. You know, people even do like get runners high and those kind of things that we, we they're running and they're doing the same thing for a while and they your mind just drifts and you flow into mm -hmm. just an experience right, right. and that the, the name that he was he is and shall be in one gives you the present moment and that in reality the past and the future both spring from the present moment mm -hmm. because the past we can only access it now in the present moment. Right. It's only and now that we can go back and think about it. You can't past, exist in the past. Yes. We can't change anything there. It's only now that we can dream about the future, about fears or about a vision, True. a vision for the, for the future. True. And that, that this is the, the name so that everything that exists, everything in creation, in this moment, every single thought, action, deed, human, animal, insect, bacteria, everything that's happening right now in this moment 
just comes from that name that's producing the this wow. experience. That's powerful. Yes. When you mentioned fear, though, yeah. Yeah. I was just saying, and when you mentioned fear, kind of, it makes sense because fear would not exist at all if there was no future. Yes. Because. You well, you, only, can have, you can have fear in the moment too when the lion jumps out of the bush. And then yes, but that. you're afraid what the lion might do to you in the future, in the next few seconds, right? Yeah, yeah. You're not afraid of the lion now. You're not afraid not. if it's going. So even if you're that's in, in this, the future, yeah. even that's in the future. So yeah. like if you're in. So, yeah. so when we have fear, you're really projecting a vision because you know you, you it's a to me also like how i understand prayer if, if prayer really starts a thought mm -hmm. then when you're having thoughts or fears or thoughts about victimhood from the past or mm -hmm. something that you did to bad to somebody in the past and that there are all those thoughts arise in your head you're meditating on those thoughts you, you're spending time with those thoughts and you're creating mm -hmm. more of the similar thoughts creating right. more more fear for your future a vicious circle in, in many ways. It's a vicious circle. And, uh, it's, and, and I'm not saying it's easy for people to break free from that. Some people have legitimate reasons to, be, to have fear or something bad happened to them. But that's, you know, there are people who experience real trauma in the world. And that right. it's, not, it's not easy to get away from that or to get away from those thoughts. For sure. But that, to me, that's just the nature of how... You know, something that, that I just became aware of, like that's actually what's happening in my mind when I'm having thoughts, you know, and how that shapes my reality in a sense, because my thoughts end up coming out of my mouth at some stage. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. talk about your fears, you talk about your vision. You know, if a builder wants to build a building, he has a vision of it first. Yeah, it's a picture it, in the mind, it, for sure. He makes a plan of how to create it, and he builds it eventually. Right. So that that idea became reality okay so in the same sense you know if, let's say i'm afraid i'm having fear all day long about driving on the on the roads in the west bank the the, the Shomoron, right you know then i'm imagining that that happening to me like imagining a terrorist attack happening to me then you know i'm not saying it's going to happen but already i'm living in that fear true right and it's yeah. affecting my life negatively and badly even though it might be even, like just not even though it might not happen or even though i can say god this is what i this is my plan for my future mm -hmm. this is the vision that i'm sharing with you i'm saying god this is what i want and that's, that's powerful that's why we we have to i feel like we as people need to direct our our thoughts that we have about the future mm -hmm. really think about that and have a vision for you know, for your household, for yourself, you know, like a long, like a vision in, you know, the next 15 years or the next 20 years. How do you envision the world? You know, envision the world at peace. Right. You know, envision 100%. The, the, you know, the, the best vision that you can have for yourself, your family, your community, your people. I Palestine, think this Palestine is why we're here, Israel, you know, to, I think we're here to, like, People will say we're here to, um, you know, serve Hashem. Sure, you serve Hashem, but like how? And I believe it's just basically doing the best you can to leave this world a tiny bit better. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, yeah, I have to kind of excuse myself, though, Yonachan. Right. Just notice it's uh, 
almost okay. 80 so we will definitely continue this for sure and um, some other time let's say this is the first um part part of it and, for sure uh, wow time for just time tell people flies. about your um you mentioned the youtube channel where can people find out more about the samaritans yes they can search for abud cohen a b double o d space cohen c-o-h-e-n okay or they can even search for samaritan documentary and they will probably watch the they can watch the documentary there's a couple there okay great thank you for this discussion and uh, we'll talk more about cool stuff soon i would love to for sure all right bye everybody